Why don't you ask the ladies? Oh, we, I mean, we yeah, the handsome ladies, Michael. No, we have the most beautiful stage on earth, to be honest. Right. Look at look at this stage right now, and look at the crowd. Like everyone in here, we have the smartest stage. But I think that because of how smart we are, we don't ever pay attention to. I mean, look at how shiny that that head of yours is, Tyler. That's what it's I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, they're just the artificial especially for the evening show. That's that's Starbucks Reserve right there. That's not just your Starbucks Reserve. Have you been to one that's of those Starbucks reserves? Time. You know what I'm talking about? Have you no idea? Oh, what it sounds. oh, listen. Wait, wait, Tyler and Mike, Michael, do you have any picture of you you when you still have hair? Me? Mm-hmm. I, do yeah, you want Michael? to see me with hair like back in the day? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Oh, Can you PTR? I, I, I'll PTR one. It looks wait. it looks insane though. Tyler too. Yeah, I'll, uh, not not right now, but maybe when if if we get into a discussion and I, I can loosen up my mod my <laughs> mod responsibilities and I can PTR a, a good photo. Wait, wait, Tyler, you had hair? Yeah, down to down to my <laughs> ass actually. <laughs> and then it all went in a flash. It was kind of like you know all, and I used it all up like in a in a blaze of glory. I used it. <laughs> Mine, mine went to my mine went to my shoulders. I looked like Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah, you're certainly more aerodynamic now. Yep. Can I can I just take us back to the discussion? Oh, I apologize. The the VC talk we had, um, the African one, uh, Tyler. Yeah. Um, for somebody who has yet to experience that specific part of a tech startup. It was hell of an enlightening for me to be able to sit there and see the dialogue go back and forth, what the investors were asking, how they were sort of um, inquiring and picking apart the, the pitches, how the pitches were held. So while I, I wasn't there as an investor or anything like that, that, that knowledge was valuable as heck yeah, for me. That's so, why we do it. For a lot of other people. So yeah. thank you oh, yeah. very much. It, you're, you're most welcome. Go ahead, Tina. I was taking notes. Tyler. Oh, no, learn me. Sorry. Like, thank you. Oh no! I was like, like Carl. I was taking notes. I was like, this is what I need to do down the line. So thank you for that. A hundred percent. That's part of the reason we do it is so that people can see how the game is played uh, and see both sides of the equation. And you get better and better as an entrepreneur of knowing what the investors are going to ask. There's actually it's quite become it becomes very repetitious actually what the investors want and and look for and ask. And but people who've not been in a pitch meeting. Don't know. And, and and in fact, the reason that the Stockholm monthly event is so popular in Stockholm is because it's actually like three hours long, not one hour long. And with the uh, with the investor on stage, we do a longer interview where instead of just two questions, it's like 10 questions uh, before the pitches. And then during the pitches, they get to pitch for like five, six minutes instead of two. And what I do is in the middle of the pitch, I say, OK, stop pitching right now in the middle of the pitch. And I say, okay, investor, what is going through your mind right now in the middle of this pitch? And nobody else can listen. You know, everyone puts their fingers in their ears. Uh, and what are you thinking right now as this startup is in the middle of this pitch? And then they say, here's exactly what's going through my mind. I think this startup's full of bullshit because they said this on slide number three or whatever. And Or I think this, I think that. And it's very revealing. And And to me, that's what's so helpful to all the aspiring entrepreneurs in the audience uh, or the or the current entrepreneurs in the audience who are still learning the art of pitching uh, to really honestly get inside the head of the investor and what they're thinking at the at the at each stage of the pitch. There's kind of uh, the first part, you know, quarter, the second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter. And at each stage, 
And then after a while, after after you watch 50 of them, then you really start to get a good idea. Like, okay, I, I know what they're going to be thinking. And you can start to anticipate what they're thinking. And it's, um, it's you know, more the more people that, that just by watching those, they can get very comfortable about the idea of what it is to be a startup, how to be a startup, what you need to do to, to kind of get started on the stepping stones and on the baby trail to, you know, creating one. Uh, we're demystifying the whole process, you know. But Tyler, under that Zen-like appearance that you give on stage, I'm wondering, like, how many times have you been like yelling internally at some of these startups? Oh, I, I've stopped startups in the middle of pitches and be like, "What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, this is you, you, holy shit! What are you doing?" And because uh, are by, there YouTube videos of this? Yeah, no, not really. At the Swedish event, we only ever we only recorded one event out of a hundred. And because we do a monthly, so there's like 10 a year and we've been doing it for nearly 10 years. So there's about a hundred of them. I think we only recorded one of them. Um, the, uh, uh, I, I, I often stop them and be like, oh, because uh, and here, you know, you guys hear me say all the time how much I love Sweden and Swedish entrepreneurs and the Nordics in general. Blah, blah, blah. But By the heard, way, they're cheating on you right now. No, but you also, you, you also, yeah, those are all my friends doing the Nordic tech room over there. But, um, <laughs> What the the they are notoriously they're great at many things. And you heard me say yesterday, they're notoriously bad at pitching. They're terrible at public speaking. They are deathly all Swedes and they know this about themselves. They'll tell you this for right off the bat. They are ter They are so afraid of standing on a stage with an audience. They, it's nothing will scare a Swede more than that. And so they are really terrible at pitching. And uh, Americans are actually very fortunate and very good at pitching. And um, on average, just kind of if you took a random sample and, and you know, I, I'm part of what uh, I've been helping is trying to show them how to be more American like in their pitches to a degree. I mean, there's yeah. a YouTube video of that. I, I saw that it was very helpful and yeah. amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun. But um, into welcome back. Uh, happy Friday, everybody. Um, it was a, a really beautiful day here in Thailand, and and I hear Cheryl same in Tokyo. Actually, Cheryl sent me some live photos at sunset in Tokyo. My goodness, made me beautiful. Made me homesick for my favorite town on uh, uh, where I used to live there. And thank you for that skyline photo, looking at the the Tokyo Tower that I used to live not far from there. I loved that. So. Um, Anyway, thank you. It looked like a very beautiful day in Tokyo as well. Hopefully it's beautiful wherever you are. And, and a very happy Friday morning to everyone waking up on the West Coast, my other hometown. There is a whole bunch of fantastic news to jump into. And we know this because we met here seven hours ago. And that was a really fun session, I have to say. And we got into all kinds of cool topics, which we will do so again. And we there's some updates on many of these ongoing developments <clears throat> like India and Twitter. And Russia with all of this, this uh, French YouTuber influencing with the vaccine. There's a whole new update on that. Oh, boy. Um, let's start there, shall we? Um, anyway, but before we do, let's, and there's a, a, I, I teased at the end of the last session, uh, Klarna, one of uh, the your biggest uh, um, t uh, startups in Europe now uh, out of Stockholm, uh, has some fantastic news to share in a second. But before we get into all those, let's see who would like to go first with Twitter, Twitter India. Yeah. Oh, you want to start with the Twitter India one? Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's save. Let's keep that one in the bin just for a second and see if somebody wants to jump in with something. 
by the way, if I was you... just going to jump in with uh, the GDPR issues that the EU is taking action Let's against the uh, cloud providers. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, I think they're just they're actually initiating action, is my understanding, uh, because some of their government it's the governments that are using some of these cloud services like Microsoft Office, and the data is being um, housed outside of the EU. Mm. So. Um, just the fact that they're moving forward on some of this GDPR stuff and at such a big level is is going to, I think, throw people into a little bit of a tailspin. Mm. What what I, I'm not I'm not up to speed on what's happening. I'll have to look into more detail, but if they you can take data out of the EU if you have the right permissions. Yeah. Right. But they're not going to have that if it's the government systems. So they wouldn't have gotten that. And so you don't know where you're using these cloud providers like Azure and AWS, et cetera. Um, it's only recently that you can request and try to get the servers in the U.S. or in the country where the data is being, you know, should be processed. Mm -hmm. So when you put it in a cloud, you don't know where it is. And now technically it's out of the country without permission. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a technical and a, um, political issue yeah. because a lot of this stuff comes from historic um, fears and practices, right? Yep. Like a lot of GDPR is actually from, World War II, like those fears of being tracked and, and things happening. So the Germans know all, exactly what you mean. Yeah. 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 So it's just, it's, yeah, to your point, it's pragmatic because how do you, when you're using these cloud servers, that's the whole point is that they're around the world and they're load balancing, et cetera. Um, and, and easy to move the data across borders. That's kind of the beauty of the data, the digitized realm. Yeah. Um, it, right. It, it kind of right. ignores borders. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, right. it's it's such an interesting thought. The uh, with now that we got Greg on stage, we just got to jump into this one that Cheryl just shared from the Twitter account, which I'm retweeting now to the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, which is T N A T W, which is very conveniently short for Tech News Around the World T N A T W. And if you go there, you're going to notice that uh, every time we talk about a headline, I'm tweeting out that headline and the actual article that, that we're talking about. So you can click on the article and read it and like it and retweet it and um, uh, follow up on it after the fact if you want to do a more proper deep dive on it. But this one is all about um, the, a lawsuit against the Apple Watch, uh, the data in the Apple Watch. And this is from South China Morning Post. It says, lawsuit claims Apple monopolizes heart rate technology for Apple in a complaint filed in San Francisco federal court. Um, they say Apple shut out rivals by changing the heart rate algorithm on its watch. Uh, the lawsuit accuses Apple of cornering the market for heart rate monitoring tech for the Apple Watch and endangering wearers' health. Um, a live core sells an Apple Watch wristband capable of recording an elect electrocardiogram and an, and an app that alerts users to irregular heartbeats. And Apple faces antitrust lawsuit for alleged monopoly in heart rate technology of the Apple Watch. A Silicon Valley company has filed an antitrust lawsuit accusing Apple of cornering the market for heart rate monitoring technology for the Apple Watch and endangering wearer's health. In a complaint filed, um, they said Apple shut out rivals by changing the heart rate algorithm on its watches operating system making rival technology incompatible greg can you believe this does, does this sound at all possible that apple's doing something like this no um, you know as you know apple is run by tim cook who's a student of mr rogers uh he would never hurt a fly 
he's one of the best human beings alive. Um, you know, like he's out there like fighting for good and fighting for you, the customer, um, you know, above all else. Right. Greg Tyler? just hit Gendy. Tyler, we, sh- we so- should go into my headline as well, because it's about the Mac and Apple while we're on a roll after this one. Okay. So a live core, watch, like I'm actually night. familiar with a live core. Um, it, it's a great little company. Um, it was founded, I think, almost a decade ago. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, you know, the, the problem is that um, Apple and their heart rate uh, monitor is not all it's cracked up to be in order to miniaturize it and all these other things. Like doctors will tell you that it gives a lot of false information. In fact, uh, my own wife is unable to get her heart uh, rate measured by her Apple Watch unless I put it on her ankle. Um, and it, it, and this is a funny but true fact. Some people have a different alignment of their heart, and so the signals uh, come out a little differently. Um, and the, the sensors that they have in their very simple heart rate monitoring device compared to some of the uh, better stuff that's out there are not is so good. Is she left-handed or right-handed? She's right-handed. Yeah, um, a live core is definitely regarded as probably one of the most accurate ECG and heart yeah. recording devices on the market. I, I mean, I know David Albert, the founder, and, and yeah. also Priya Albani, who's moved across from Amazon. So she was head of um, Alexa, Alexa devices. Um, so, I mean, if they're the ones that are pursuing this action, they're, they're deadly serious and they'll definitely have yeah. the, the data to back it up. Well, and, and, and at the end of the day, the, the, the thing that happens here is this kind of uh, you get you get the unfair competition when it comes to low level API access like the the Apple Watch as a companion device to the iPhone gets extremely low level access to the operating system. Now, despite this, if you ever have updated your Apple Watch before and had it take you know the better part of a day to finish or uh, they, they still can't make the product great even when they can cheat and do anything they want inside the operating system that their competitors can't. Um, but I think that a live core has a pretty good case here to be made. Not only that, but when you're inside of these companies, you sit around while the program managers and the product managers and the engineers go surf the web and find out what these companies are doing. And those ideas bubble up to executives and those executives are um, plausible plausible deniability are the words that I'm looking for uh, when it comes to copying the shit out of these innovative uh, young startups. Here's a couple of juicy quotes from um, AliveCore. They said, as it has done multiple times over the years in other markets, Apple decided that it would not accept competition on the merits. The value of controlling such critical health data with the accompanying ability to exploit it was apparently too much of a temptation for Apple, they said. To gain an unfair competitive advantage, Apple put countless AliveCore users' lives in danger. Because AliveCore has that cardia band, right? That goes that's right. attached to the right. watch as well. Exactly right. Yeah, you have a little pad and you put your index fingers on from each hand on either side. And it gives you a, a medically accurate ECG. Plus they have the uh, wristband for the Apple Watch. They actually had a separate band as well that yeah. actually has the sensor on it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great little uh, company and unique technology. And, and, you know, they're coming from a healthcare background. I mean, you know, uh, David Albert is, is a cardiologist anyway. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of thinking there. I, d- I don't know why they would, they would, they would block them. 
um, because at the moment they're not really a threat. I mean, it would be better to acquire this technology than than try and stifle it. But, you know, we, I mean, Greg, we, we, Apple's always been this way. You know, you were forced to integrate into HomeKit. Um, you never can get complete access to, um, if you have a mobile app, through iOS to all the telemetry from the various sensors. You know, for example, an interesting one that we come up against, you know, mobile app, they can get real-time data from your four or 5G chipset through an Android operating system. You just can't get this through through iOS, but Apple can. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's always been unfair. Yeah, Apple, it, it, they have always been this way. They have a monopoly on great user experience on their platform. Uh, they can literally hack, they, they can break their own rules, um, the rules that third-party developers can't. In fact, before I joined Apple, uh, they tried to force us into the HomeKit ecosystem uh, at Dropcam. And I said, you know what, like, this thing doesn't look very good. It doesn't look very customer friendly. Um, you're not really focusing on the problems that the smart home companies know need to be solved. This is just going to be another platform. Um, and they wanted us to actually put a chip into our camera just to be compatible with HomeKit and a bunch of other crazy stuff. Mm. Um, and we said no. Um, and they threatened to remove us from their physical store where we had been selling very well and were a favored uh, loved uh, product for iOS and I iPhone and iPad customers alike, and and Mac for that matter. Um, and so you know they just use their and you know just ridiculous tactics on small companies all the time. And then magically they come out with their own you know versions of these products uh, in a lot of cases. Um, and when they do, they get preferred access to the platform. And I'll remind you that you bought your iPhone. Like you should you should have some of the uh, benefits of owning the device, including having a competitive ecosystem. My dad, when um, I was very young, my dad was never a big startup guy or a big business guy. He's always been an engineer. And one of his first jobs was for a company that made a real-time clock for the Apple IIe. And literally, the, it didn't have a real-time clock. So you added it with a add-on card. And this company made hay doing that. Uh, and being a third-party developer, but they had super low-level access to the Apple IIe. Um, I think that this is, you know, just, it's yet another example in the litany. Thanks, Tyler, for, for bringing it up and I, letting me talk about it a little I'm, bit. Yeah, wow, what a surprise that you enjoyed this headline. The, um... <laughs> and even, even all these views. Even all these years, <laughs> well, like, even all these years later. Like innovating by petitions, right? That's what they're doing, I think. Well, sp speaking of Apple innovating, um, I have a new headline to share of some new stuff they're announcing, but somebody else had a headline they wanted to share related to Apple. It was Amanda. That was, yeah, that yeah, was me. I wanted to share that Apple um, the, on the Macs, the operating system issue, security issue that basically Apple sent out a patch because hackers can very easily get into your Mac and through your operating system and record or take screenshots check the headline. Yeah. yeah take screenshots so they can today. tap into your uh, record video access files on your hard drive. Um, yeah. Yeah. Minor stuff like that. So, yeah, so they are uh, showing any idea what if they pushed anything else because the new product launch is coming up. Well, yeah, the point is that if you own a Mac laptop, you need to update. Uh, there's a patch that you need to do unless you don't mind sharing, you know, the, your camera uh, to folks on the Internet. So um, uh, in terms of other new Apple news, there was some news that came out today. Uh, but let me put in a new timestamp. Thank you. 
uh, redesigned AirPods to launch this year and new AirPod Pro with fitness sensors in 2021, Apple will launch its redesigned third generation AirPods this year, while redesigned second generation AirPod Pro models are on track to launch next year with new sensors for fitness tracking. What does that mean? It means um, Apple is also testing new AirPod Pro design, which does not feature the small stems that contain the directional mics. The company touts them as one of the highlight features of its AirPods, as they provide much more be- better, as they provide much better microphone audio quality than the competition. If Apple decides to go ahead with the new design, it will be interesting to see how it impacts microphone quality. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, and they talk about um, the AirPods Max and how it is in high demand despite the high price. The company is not working on a successor to the AirPods Max at the moment, but it is contemplating doing new color variations to the lineup, probably to match with the new IMAX, uh, which uh, Michael will probably enjoy getting some uh, multicolored uh, headsets, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And lastly, uh, they talk about upcoming HomePod speaker with a built-in screen that could function as a FaceTime camera and and an as an Apple TV device and a wireless audio speaker. This product could not could not launch soon enough as products like Amazon's Echo and Google Nest Hub are extremely popular and the cameras and the screens make them extremely useful utilities around the house. But um, Tyler, yes. which company was Apple partnering up with for the autonomous vehicle? Was it Kia? Uh, it's been reported. I, I read Kia at one point and then I re- saw a retraction and then I heard Hyundai. But uh, regardless, apparently... Yeah, not because Xiaomi. The thing is, no, not they Xiaomi. just recently, uh, Kia has announced that just now that uh, their new EV vehicles that are coming up next year uh-huh. will be offered with an Apple Watch. Interesting. That, that's a little surprising, I must say. Um, uh, Volvo is coming out with their uh, tech event, by the way, pretty soon. Volvo? Yep. Oh, yep. And I can get some very incredibly senior people from Volvo to join us for that, actually, because they the senior team is in sweden in gothenburg <laughs> so we can uh if, if they're going to do a live stream maybe or something like that we could we could if we ever need volvo to come in that's not so difficult uh they speak at my events quite regularly so the um google says chrome the new version of chrome is 23 percent faster thanks to spark plug uh, a new non-optimized compiler uh which is that's i gotta say that's a pretty Big improvement in speed. Twenty-three percent uh, increase in speed is n- n- not a, a minor speed adjustment, and these days for a browser. And, and RAMs, RAMs are not cheap too. So yeah, and then you have, by the way, Twitter is announcing their new anticipated monthly subscription tier for two dollars and ninety-nine cents a month. You get this new, what they call Twitter Blue, and it is now listed as an option in the iOS app store, despite the fact that it's not being um, live yet inside the app, but that means it should be very soon. Uh, Twitter appears to have mistakenly confirmed its plan to launch a new subscription tier called Twitter Blue with the new purchase option now listed in the iOS app store. And the two main features at the moment are the ability to uh, unsend a tweet that you just sent, sort of like Gmail, and also the ability to create what they call collections of tweets where as you uh, roam the Twitter sphere or inside the Twitter app, you can start saving tweets into different 
collections, um, which I guess that's a, a popular feature request that they're now making available. And the question is, would you pay $2.99 for that? Let's do a, a very quick uh, poll of the speakers on stage. Do you plan to pay $3 a month for these new features to unsend a tweet and to make collections of tweets? Go ahead and flash your mic if you plan to pay for the upgraded Twitter. Akil and Ben and Cam and that's not so many folks. Um, uh, it's only because I tweet out a TNA TW and I need to keep a track of them. So. Ah, ben, ben, what are you looking forward to? Um, I would like to be a group tweets into like lists so people if people are interested in what i'm saying about crypto they can look at just that and i would like to better then talk about other subjects under a different group i'd also like to remove ads because they really piss me off oh yeah I, th- I guess it does remove ads as well yeah tina what's the difference between unsend and delete great question um unsend is in the same way like gmail it, you can apparently you'll be able to set the time when the settings uh, you'll have a window that you control of how many seconds there's kind of a delay between the time you hit send and then it actually sends so that you can uh, say you set it for I'm 15. I'm not going to buy it now. Right. I thought they were going to send the men in black round with that little device that anybody that had seen the tweet they yes. zapped it out of their memory. Uh, re- and suck it back off the internet for you? Yeah. So that we'll would suck be it tricky. back out of people's minds. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, but so Tyler, this, this, I don't get it. Like you can just Is this the tweets. edit feature we've always wanted? Yeah, that's precisely yep. the point, Tina. For those who aren't familiar, from the day Twitter launched, they've been <laughs> asked repeatedly for a edit feature. And they get so tired of people asking for the ability to edit uh, that they said, what, how can we, what can we possibly make to stop everyone from asking for the ability to edit tweets they've already sent? And so this is sort of a, a, a strange compromise, which is the ability to 10 seconds after you've sent the tweet, uh, kind of cancel it. And what they're really doing is delaying the sending of your tweet by 10 seconds, just like Gmail does. And, and you know, uh, there's a countdown, you know, and you have the ability to say, oh, wait, 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 with one second left, actually, I don't want to send that. Um, so it's, more, it's essentially more like that. No, but you can just delete tweets, right? Why yes, would you of, want to unsend them? Of course you can, because then your ex, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend can take a screenshot that you sent this horrific tweet and, and call your boss and cancel you. Where in the in the the new version, the tweet doesn't actually go out. Nobody sees it. Nobody can screenshot it, send it to your boss, and cancel you. You only you can cancel it within that window, the predefined time that you set for yourself. Just like yeah, Gmail. Like, yeah, I, I like how you put it. Yeah, nice example. Yeah. Yep. Um, cooling off period. Yeah. Um, here's an interesting one. Um, the the website have I been pwned? goes open source. And what is this website? Well, you're on this website, uh, whether you know it or not. And it's, a, and it's actually, they're working on your behalf. It's an incredibly cool service that they're providing. Um, Have I Been Pwned is where you can go to see if your passwords and your user data is being shared on the internet by hackers, which it is, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the um, answer is yes. Yes, the, your, your passwords <laughs> and your activities across multiple sites are being shared on what's called the dark web in things called rainbow tables, which hackers trade and share amongst themselves. And Have I Been Pwned allows you, they've made a search engine out of all of that that you can search. And now, Have I Been Pwned is going open source, and they are starting with the pwned password code and the FBI to begin sharing compromised passwords 
discovered in investigations with the site. So the FBI is now going to be contributing to this open source, Have I Been Pwned? And so the headline says, uh, want to find out if someone's stolen your user IDs and passwords, then you can use Have I Been Pwned? And now the code behind it is being open sourced, which is great because before I think they were had a subscription service of some kind and now that is open source, maybe assumably it'll all be free. And apparently uh, Apple, I know I know Apple does, and I think Android's starting to do it as well. Google, well, actually, yes, Google is doing it, not necessarily Android, but both Google and Apple now are tapping into it to check on your behalf because they know your main email address and they use your email address. They check the, the databases to see if your email address is in those databases uh, of leaked passwords and they notify you and they say, hey, idiot, your passwords are being leaked and here are the specific passwords that have been leaked. And I myself with a month ago got a notification from Google that my Uber password was leaked uh, on this database and they told me I need to update it. That's what I did. And then the Apple as well. It, within your iPhone, there are settings you can go and look and it will tell you precisely which ones of your accounts are compromised uh, where the password is shared on these um, dark web sites. So um, you can check out Have I Been Pwned? It's spelled P-W-N-E-D, Pwned. It's a hacker term. And if you aren't using a password manager, please ask your nearest millennial to set you up with one password uh, and, and just stop using the same password for everything, you freaking Luddite old idiots. Just, just stop using the internet at that point. Yeah. yeah, just log I, off, so, burn your computer in a trash bin, uh, or use a password manager. Those are those are your choices. Yeah, Tyler, I'm building on that. I was super even I know that. that man. You remember Heartbleed when there was a problem with HTTPS a few years ago? I was super impressed with LastPass because what they did is they said, "Look, there's this problem. Uh, we know that your passwords and, and we store them for you. You know, it's an, another option like OnePass." And they said, "These are the sites that have updated, so go change your password there." And further than that, they said, "We'll change the password for you using a." a client end uh, tool in LastPass. And then they said, these are the websites that haven't updated yet. So there's no point in changing the password because if you do, it's still going to be compromised. So um, so these passwords building on Greg's point, these password managers can be super helpful in effectively uh, providing this service for you as well. Uh, and can go even beyond whether you've been pwned and help you with the timing and even the action of uh, changing those passwords. Well, so we have there's, there's a headline breaking right now, uh, thanks to Sarah sharing an article from the BBC precisely to this point. Thank you for this, Sarah. I just retweeted it to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. Uh, Russian hackers target aid groups in new cyber attack, says Microsoft. Microsoft says another wave of Russian cyber attacks has targeted government agencies and human rights groups in 24 countries, most in the U.S., <clears throat> It said about 3,000 email accounts at more than 150 different organizations had been attacked this week. The group responsible was the same one that carried out last year's SolarWinds attacks. Which, I shared this today morning in the morning session. Uh -huh, which Russian's foreign intelligence service called the SVR is accused of orchestrating. Uh, Russia has denied both cyber attacks. Well, well, then it's disputed, then, isn't it? Well, <laughs> the Kremlin on Friday said it had no... Are no, you the song every time we have to, somebody denies doing something we know they did? Yeah, the Kremlin on Friday said it had no knowledge of the latest hacks, so clearly it couldn't have been them. 
and called the U.S. tech giant to answer further questions, including how it was linked to Russia. They also said uh, they were flattered that the U.S. tech giant said Russia did this. Yeah, in a in a blog post published, uh, uh, Microsoft said the new attacks targeted government agencies involved in foreign policy as part of intelligence gathering efforts. It said at least a quarter of the organizations targeted were involved in international development, humanitarian, and human right work. Human rights work, while most were in the U.S., targeted victims spanned at least 24 countries. Uh, according to Microsoft, Nobelium, a group originating in Russia, launched this week's attacks by gaining access to an email marketing account used by the U.S. federal government's aid agency called USAID. Hackers then, wow. sent, hackers then sent emails that looked authentic, uh, but included a link, which when clicked, inserted a malicious file, enabling the stealing of data and infecting other computers on a network. And they go on and on in great detail. And yet Russia says, who, us? No, not us. It's so cartoonish in my head the way I look like they're like, <laughs> it wasn't us. <laughs> it's so cartoonish. Do, do all the news guys, like all of this. Do, do all the news guys share the same news? Because this was the same, uh, almost exact same words that Reuters wrote in the morning. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's absolutely. It's because the victim, Microsoft, the way, that's a good question, Akil, actually. Because in the U.S. specifically, and it's it's somewhat the same globally, Microsoft puts out a, what's called a press release, and that the, and what happens is is the journalists all receive this press release from Microsoft's PR team, um, press relations department, and every big company in the U.S. has a PR department. They create press releases, which is like a blog post, but they don't publish it. Goes it goes out on the newswire. It goes out on, quote unquote, the wire. And all the journalists receive it in their email inbox. And they, they're all looking at precisely the same blog post. And so they copy and paste elements from this PR release. And then they make their own article out of it. And there's an incredibly high degree of repetition in how many different ways you can, you know, take that same PR release uh, and um, press release, as we call them, and and regurgitate it into a, an article, and so it's that's why they, they end up sounding so similar. Times. Well, that some what of them that they no they they try they, they are in a race actually. The the PR the, the the tech journalists who receive these press releases from in this case from Microsoft. Micro, here, let's look at this one example. Microsoft issued a press release. It went out to all the journalists simultaneously into their inboxes. Those journalists at all the top publications, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, yada, 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 they are all friends, actually, with the PR team at Microsoft. They know each other personally. And so when the, the email goes out, all the tech journalists all receive it more or less simultaneously. It is then at that moment a race to see who can publish it first so that they get more of the visibility and the clicks and the headlines. Exactly. Right. That's that's the that's the game. However, those those journalists, they receive hundreds of PR press releases per day and part of their job is figuring out which of these 100, 200, 300, 400 emails that I received are actually newsworthy and which ones are not because they can only really do each journalist, you know, is you know, you might you might be doing a dozen per day. And, you know, 99% of them are crap. And then of the, you know, so they are busy and they're working on 10 stories simultaneously and things get very messy. And then when an important one comes through, they kind of drop everything and focus on that. So there is a little discrepancy in how fast 
each outlet, each publication actually writes these uh, their articles. But uh, in this case, and in many, many, many cases, these articles stem from the same press release. I hope that is helpful. If I may, Tyler, yes, I, would I would like to provide some additional insight. Sure. Having worked on both sides. Um, you're correct in for a certain subset of media outlets, um, but for the companies that have um, really good media relations, it is literally relations. They have relationships with the key journalists and writers, and they are, um, and with this relationship, they are giving them um, embargoed press releases. So they get the information ahead of time because um, the desired outcome is, is not to have regurgitated information because that's easily achieved through a wire release. Uh, for the really savvy companies, the objective is to have a well-written, thoughtful article right. that yeah. goes deeper. Yeah, yeah. So I think that um, rather than paint all press releases as such, um, let's just, um, on balance, um, make sure that we understand that uh, yeah. well, that's not their it's desired a great point. objective. It's a great point because Cami uh, raises a, a very good point. Is there's more? I'm I'm addressing specifically the the niche case where the world's biggest tech companies, namely Apple, Microsoft, they send out a press release, and all the tech journalists are going to cover it generally. Anything Apple does, all the tech journalists are going to cover it. All of them. Apple doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> they are the boss. They release anything. The entire press world covers it. Apple doesn't give a shit. Uh, Microsoft, well, sometimes they're going to need to nurture the relationships with the journalists to make sure the journalists actually cover the stories Microsoft want them to cover. You as a little startup, the journalists don't give a shit about you. There's nothing you can do to get them to cover your story other than shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue. Then they might cover it. So there's a power dynamic here. Apple can do anything they want and the journalists will eat it up like, you know, ice cream on Sunday. You can, can't do anything to get the journalists to do anything. And that's where you need to hire, have really good PR team who have great relationships with the journalists because now the journalists have the power. You don't. And you're at, you know, you have to have, as she said, really good relationships and you might have to give them an exclusive because you have no power. And you're like, hey, Wall Street Journal, tell you what, rather than do what Apple does and just put it out there and everyone's going to cover it. We know we're a tiny little startup and that's not never going to happen for us. Uh, so we're going to give you an exclusive. And this is a super common thing in this game, by the way. Uh, so you TechCrunch is notorious for this. But this, let me unpack this for those who don't know this part of the game. The journalists will often say, okay, we might cover this for you if it's an exclusive, meaning you cannot give it to anyone else. We're the only one who gets this story and it's embargoed. And then that's the embargoes are another part of the game where uh, if you get a little more power as a startup, let's say you're something like Twitter uh, or Uber, and then you say, okay, journalists, we've got a piece of news. Um, we're going to give it to you all at the same time. We're going to give it to you now, but you all have to hold it until Wednesday at 4 p.m. That's the embargoed time when you're allowed to release it. But we're going to tell you now, and you can interview us now between now and then. You've got like three days to write your whole story. We'll let you talk to our CEO or the CMO or the, the team internally. You have three days to write your story. Everyone gets to write your story three days from now. Everyone has the exact same release time. 
the embargo time is Wednesday, 4 p.m. Central, uh, you know, Eastern Daylight Time. And then all the news goes out, you know, then it's up to those journalists to all craft their own stories between now and then. And hey, that, Tyler, that, yes, we, at Dropcam, we had a couple of interesting hacks around this. One is that we would appeal to the journalists, uh, social justice warrior inside and tell them about our amazing corporate culture and they would choose to write about it. And I've totally preyed upon that to get to, to get them to write about the company. Um, the other one is they love clickbait and our customers were always sending us videos that they would capture with their, uh, their drop cams. And the journalists really loved stuff that showed crime, horrible things happening, um, so on and so forth, but also just things that um, would, would generate eyeballs. Like the one time that we got on the front page of the New York Times, as Dropcam, not at Google or any of those other things, is because somebody decided to um, put a battery pack on the Dropcam and put it on the back of a tortoise and let the tortoise walk around live streaming. Uh, and they decided this was interesting enough for the front page of the New York Times. Well, this is where our friend Jamie Simonoff at Ring, <laughs> you know, has has the you yeah. know, they the Ring cameras. Uh, what fear, was... fear. Yeah, what was starting <laughs> off originally was there was some actual legit examples of, of people stealing packages off of people's doorsteps and the ring cameras caught this. And then more recently, rings gotten some shit because now they're starting to manufacture their own videos uh, uh, along these That's lines. That's right. And because, well, we yeah. started off the trend of people catching package thieves. Uh, we, did, we we never got around to making our doorbell camera in time because of some of the acquisition shenanigans and the stall and product development that happened. Uh, but um, we, we started that off. It's actually a really interesting area. Like, you have to be super careful because, um, like, fabricating these videos um, is a pretty gray area. Um, and we would never do that. Um, and but the, But the funny thing is that if your competitor will, it's kind of a race to the bottom. So there's a there's a bit of a game in terms of um, journalists compete to break news, honestly. And um, um, I my, my you know my I've been you know my family is involved in, in, for many generations in the journalism game, and um, um, it's it's a it's an interesting game. And the if there are images or videos that break news very recently, like the that uh, uh, in Belarus where they forced down that uh, Ryanair flight, you know, three days ago. And coincidentally, that was a journalist on that flight that they were after and forced down to the ground. There was a person on that flight that caught a photo of the military, the very heavily armed military MiG fighter plane <laughs> that forced down the Ryanair passenger flight with, with the missiles, un, you know, from underneath. And that photo has journalistic value and he posted it on Twitter and people cat capture newsworthy videos and photos all the time and put it on Twitter. And the issue is, is who has the right to publish those photos and videos? And oftentimes journalists are stealing those photos and videos from those very viral tweets without giving even attribution to the original creator or, or person who captured those photos or videos. And that's where there's a, actually a huge opportunity for a startup to use the blockchain and specifically NFTs for a truly genius use case of selling the rights to your photo or video as an NFT to those journalists. And it would be very trackable as to who actually paid for the rights to that your uh, viral photo or video. 
Hey, Are Tyler. you going to start that startup, Tyler? You want to do it together, Cam? I'll be right back. Yeah. I'll be right back. I, <laughs> I think Akil's going discuss... to write some code right now. Yeah. I really well, uh, like this Tyler, I think there was a... Let's discuss offline. Okay. Cammy's not playing. So, Tyler, you know, Charlie bit my finger. Yes. That went for $750,000 NFT. That's right. Penny is a... Yeah, the Charlie bit my finger video just sold as an NFT. Uh, all all yeah. of the original classic uh, internet meme videos, like Nyan Cat sold for six hundred thousand. They're all selling for lots and lots of money. And what I'm saying is, is if you get a really newsworthy photo or video, you're going to make uh, uh, tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars if you do it correctly. Yeah. And I don't well, even need to take the, the picture. I can just stick it off the internet. This is one of the side effects that I still <laughs> hope happens. Um, when when you have cameras everywhere, but they're in the control of individual users instead of being in control of the government, this is my dream for cameras: is that look, you'll have cameras everywhere, but you control them as individuals because then you own that footage. You can decide what is the best thing to do with it. Should you delete it? Um, should you put it out on an NFT? You know, should you send it to the authorities? What should you do? I like that distributed decision making a lot better than I like centralized uh, decision making based on on these video surveillance networks and things like that. We had, um, by, it's kind of the law of large numbers. Uh, Dropcam at its peak was taking in an order of magnitude more video than YouTube, um, just because of the enormous amount of uh, of cameras out there constantly recording. Uh, we couldn't look at the footage, but our customers could, and we could give them tools to select out the most important parts and clip it easily and send it. And so we would run a contest just saying, hey, send us interesting uh, clips. Uh, and by the way, when you do that, you agree we can use it in the press. And so they know what they're doing. Um, they, they know their video is safe unless they choose to share it. That generated hundreds and hundreds, maybe maybe thousands of press hits, both local and national. Um, and, and kind of in an above-board way that I wish everybody else would, uh, would, would adhere to, whereas Ring was literally just letting people look at your footage. Um, pretty, pretty freaking nuts. Well, hearing what you have to say in your tactics, Sorry, Greg, ahead. has led me to believe that you are a natural marketer, natural-born marketer. And um, what I appreciate, um, what you and Tyler have brought up, is uh, the issue of ultimately owning your content whether it's a video whether it's um some writing or whatnot and if we can find a way whether it's through a combination of innovative technologies such as nfts or blockchain trace it back and have definitive ownership this would be true decentralization and empowerment yeah so music, music as well yeah for us the important thing to notice over here is, um, and I, I think I've said this earlier as well, but an account of the population having risen in the room significantly since I last made the comment is that uh, NFTs for a long time have been considered a fad, but these sorts of um, these sorts of applications are now giving proof that NFTs are actually a way forward for blockchain progress that has long been delayed on account of this sort of um, this sort of uh, addition to the application not existing and. Though NFTs were tried earlier, some in 2017, some in 2016, some in 2018, they didn't work out. Then they worked as in, in as a fad or whatever you want to call it, or what some would not call a fad. 
in certain ways, but now you're seeing the application in its true form vis-a-vis -vis photos, vis-a-vis -vis videos, and now you'll also see the true method of tokenization coming to light, be it land parcels, be it square feet, be it tokenization in its uh, you know security token offerings, which were trying to be done for ages, but actually never surfaced to the top, will be done through NFTs in my humble opinion. So NFTs are truly novel, and I think will carry the way forward for us on blockchain. One of the other really important aspects of that idea, which I think is a great one, I think it should just happen, somebody should do it. Um, basically, we have this problem now, especially with deepfakes of authentic video and the origin of video. And the other thing that a blockchain NFT type solution does besides allowing for people to be compensated fairly and tracking uh, who originally did this is it, you can make sure that the whatever the artifact is, if it's a digital artifact like a photo or a video or a piece of text or something like that, that it has not been tampered with uh, uh, from the original document, which I think is also a very interesting um, yep. connotation. Yes. You know, Greg, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, that's one out of 15 startups that I have written about as a potential um, in the future of work. In the context of yes, automation, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, will um, cause many jobs to exit, but it will also create many opportunities. And I'd be interested, given the number of speakers on this stage, to know how many people here actually had the prescience to say yes. There's going to be a smartphone, billions of smartphones, um, and in everyone's pocket back in, let's say, the early 1990s. If, if you could flash your mics, I want to see if anyone had conceived uh, I think that. the bell just rang, which means let's move to the next topic. Uh, Tyler, no, Tyler no. am I correct? That's, no. Okay. I, so I, Greg, I Greg was the only one who said he, he saw foresaw that, and that's very interesting. So, there, But speaking on this uh, very interesting issue of um, cameras and news and... Um, let me raise a, a, an interesting article here. There's a startup called Citizen, and they were in the news recently because they accidentally named uh, somebody as an arsonist and then realized they had made a mistake, and then they put out a a, 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 a prize and kind of a manhunt to find the real arsonist and got in some hot water, and the press were going crazy for this startup and basically... This startup is a really interesting concept. It's backed by Peter Thiel, uh, who often backs very uh, thought-provoking, uh, controversial startups. And just to give a little background, so it says, four years since its launch, Citizen now has 7 million users. The company on its app, the company on it, what? The company on its app highlights instances when Citizen has been used to locate lost dogs and other feel-good events. Citizen says its app has been used to alert people to evacuate building, burning buildings and has even helped to locate kidnapped children and missing people. But here's why uh, I want to talk about it today. Citizen um, was reported about three days ago as having a vehicle driving around Los Angeles that looked like a police vehicle. And people were taking photos of it and sending that in. And journalists were getting very, you know, <laughs> uh, kind of excited about this, not in a good way, uh, but they were covering it. And back to the point of startups getting, you know, coverage from journalists, this startup was getting tons of coverage that it didn't necessarily want. I mean, they could be, it could be 
if it was done in the right way. But this crowd, what it is, is a crowdsourcing crime tracking app called Citizen, whose earliest backers include uh, venture capitalist billionaire uh, Peter Thiel, is ditching its plans to develop a private police force that could be summoned by users via their smartphone app, according to CBS Money Watch. The company began offering the service in L.A. last month as a pilot program during the trial. The service, which included a company-branded squad car, was only available to company employees. For the service, Citizen partnered with a private firm called L.A. Professional Security, which described itself as a provider of subscription law enforcement. So like private police, essentially, that citizens of the app could share, essentially, like like Uber. By the way, when Uber first pitched itself, the, it pitched itself. And I was there at the very original angel pitch, which my friends invested in. And I stupidly did not. And they pitched themselves as you can share a black car, a driver uh, with your friends. Uh, you know, you and your friends can share use this app uh, to share a black car drive, you know, driver, your own private escort driver. Uh, and, and this is kind of a similar pitch. It's like you and your friends could share a private police force. Uh, you call them on demand, just like Uber was pitching themselves originally. But um, uh, now Citizen has ended the program and states they have no plans to launch this uh, this service. This was uh, They now say this was a small 30-day test that is now co- complete. The Citizen spokesperson told CBS Money Watch, we have no plans to launch our own private security force and no ongoing relationships uh, with any um, um, pr- uh, policing agencies or anything, and the spokesperson denied to say why the they uh, had decided not to pursue the service because the journalists loved covering the startup. And due to that, I would argue, going back to our previous conversation, um, the journalists were so eager to track every step of the startup because it's just wildly fraught with uh, kind of uh, uh, social issues of having private police and who has the private police and it plays into Black Lives Matter and all these issues that there's so much free PR to be made if you were to do this startup and do it correctly. It's a minefield if you do it wrong and you will get blown to bits. But if you have a masterful PR team, you could use and leverage all of this energy that all of the journalists have for this app to your advantage. By the way, Uber did this as well in the early days. Uber would go into cities and the city would try and shut it down and the journalists would always cover that. And then the drivers would form a protest and the journalists would cover that. And Uber got just untold millions and millions and millions of dollars of free PR value because of the journalists couldn't stop covering everything that Uber was doing. And if you are masterful at that and use that to your advantage as a startup, that's great. There's not many startups that can do that. However, Citizen is certainly one of them uh, because everything they were doing. Sounds like certain politicians that we got to know and love as well. Yeah, exactly right. (laughs) Exactly right. Fundamentally, I would agree with you that um, communications to the public is important, especially if it's, an idea that is quote-unquote crazy and out there but those ideas people need to approach with an open mind because those ideas that are seemingly out on the edge that some of them pan out it's a little bit Bayesian you've got to factor in the laws of probability there but if you're paying attention and you can separate the signal from the noise um, that is how we progress and 
Um, I think, yes, media plays a role, but it depends what kind of media you follow. If you follow junk media, you're going to get that. So that's where it's important that you curate who your news source is, who your information source is, how fact and evidence-based it is, how unbiased they strive to be. And I notice I say strive to be because many media organizations as of late have been painted into certain corners, um, maybe deservedly so. Um, however, having said that, it really is important that the individual exercises critical reasoning in this context and decide for themselves. Yeah. Uh, New I find, I just wanted to comment in New York City, we use Citizen App like no other. I mean, every person I know uses Citizen App like crazy. And the thing to remember is we have no idea what's true. Like somebody reports gunshots consistently here. We have no idea if it is, if it isn't. And the funny thing is people will run to the gunshots take videos and post them <laughs> and then we all discuss somebody will say oh it's a firecracker then like 10 minutes later there'll be a whole squad of cops down there because a couple people were shot it's like but we use this app like crazy in new york city but i can never see them having a citizen app because we would fight over who gets the who gets the resource <laughs> because Amanda, we use it so much here you, you just connected to uh, our, our previous two very seemingly very different uh, topics <laughs> which is a somebody who wanted to make a bunch of money with these nft by documenting with photos and videos of breaking news would certainly use the citizen app watch the people the citizens who are reporting you know these break-ins or crimes or shootings or whatever run right down there if they happen to be in manhattan and with their cameras rolling, capture it, put it on the blockchain in the form of an NFT and sell it to all the publications who don't have the benefit of having somebody on the ground there, you know, three blocks from the incident as it's unfolding. And so you could use... That's uh, my next job, my side gig, right? <laughs> That's genius. Um, uh, Tyler, can I just say something? Yeah. You know what I love about your room? Anybody on stage can ask a question and over 500 people can just benefit from it from one of the best minds on the planet. It's insane. Yeah, that, well, this is, uh, that's, that would be really interesting. You would have the citizens reporting the crimes in their neighborhood. You would have other citizens showing up with cameras to record it, to, to profit from it by putting it on NFTs on a blockchain. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting world in the very near future. I want hey, to Yes. I have some news. Uh, I have some news too. If we're going to change topics, let me jump first. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I Tyler, can I say something on that topic? Yeah, go ahead. This, this is Robert. Um, I would definitely utilize that if it was a citizen security that I could hire on the spot, especially when I used to do a lot of fundraisers and formals, and uh, those people were former Secret Service. Oh, right. And I'd hire them for my child. So if you come up with an Uber... Supreme security. Yeah, Secure. I know people like myself who had hired in a second because, you know, people like myself. Even when I'm doing fundraisers, I get randomly pulled over by the cops. So if it polices the cops for me, that's perfect too. So I'd hire him too. Except the ones that were kicked out of Columbia, Robert. Good point. Hey, Tyler. Uh, this is Ellen. 
uh, just a comment right quick because uh-huh. I actually deploy technology for public safety. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, we, we develop in, I'll tell you where it is. So in Baltimore County, Maryland, we actually developed an app that actually works in conjunction with the police as well as our CAD services, so 911. So if something is reported and it's something that goes in through 911, the police actually can work more proactively towards the situation. And we're huge proponents of utilizing the Neighborhood Watch, which there's a website for it. I'm not a proponent for these private security forces because they can end, re- I mean, the ones that are done carrying, because that can end really, really badly. And it has in some, especially when musical artists use um, off-duty police officers who actually can carry guns, it can end, if there's not more protocols and standards and policies around those little private militias, it can end really badly for, um, for a random citizen on the street because, you know, some situation occurred that wasn't directly affiliated with something, if, if you know what I mean. So yeah. not to go into all the stories that I've seen and, and, and witnessed through the camera systems that I've, um, I've worked with. But, yeah, you guys have to be very mindful when promoting private militias. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, I, but to Robert's point, if they're vetted, in advance, you're hiring a, a vetted bodyguard. By the way, that was uh, the original pitch of Uber. You're getting this vetted black car driver that the app has thoroughly checked. <clears throat> this is when they were very small scale. It was, in fact, there were only one driver in the entire app, and there was only 30 friends sharing the one driver when they did their first pitch. And they were raising money to add a second driver uh, so and be able to add more uh, friends into the app <laughs> and the one, do they carry weapons tyler uh they i don't know if they did or not but they the point was is that that the drivers initially were very vetted and the idea that robert's talking about is what if you had very vetted kind of security guards kind of a bodyguard who you can call on demand instead of a, a black car driver you get a uh, a bodyguard on demand for your event or from for, from some important reason anywhere anywhere in the world. Like yeah. for example, I had a, a former T seventy two tank driver as a bodyguard in Bulgaria. I mean, I I was able to find it, but you shouldn't have to look. If you have something that you could do, fine, perfect. Yeah, the tricky. But what Robert's is- talking about is very di- Robert. What you're talking about it feels very di- like I know when I so when I hear bodyguard, this is gonna sound weird. Um, and this is as a black man from Detroit who lives in Los Angeles. Uh, my perspective when I hear bodyguard is very very different than my perspective when I hear police or security guard, uh, security or privatized X, Y, or Z. I like bodyguards. <laughs> I feel safe with bodyguards. Um, but this other thing, I, I, I don't know if you guys know what swatting is, but yes. I, I get a little bit nervous about, I, I just get, um, I get worried about weaponization and I, maybe no one else thinks about this stuff, but to me, I just, I get a little bit worried about the weaponization of this against people. I, I mm. Well, if if this helps, Michael, um, if you go to, let's say, any sporting event, you're going to see private security companies. So, for example, Major League Baseball, you're going to see private security companies that are hired specifically to maintain the peace in events. And um, so I would imagine the ready market for this actually isn't business to consumer, B2C, but it would be B2B and specifically for large events. Um, that are episodic, but do demand high security. So we're looking at music concerts. Uh, you're looking at sporting events. You're looking at 
yes, political rallies even. High net worth individuals, you know, CEOs. Yeah, that kind of stuff I'm fine with. Yeah. I think it's just the whole, this fucking, I come outside and there's a car sitting there <laughs> watching me because somebody decided to run some type of SWAT kind of deal. Well, um, by the way, yeah, they actually have these already. They're not like really named out in the public. They there's companies that specifically hire ex-military who worked for, you know, uh, they either were like ex-seals or ex-special special forces. Blackwater, but yeah, yeah, the black. I didn't right. want to name any names, but there's more than there's at least because I deal with some of them. There's at least fifteen to twenty different ones that a lot of people do not know about, and they actually have very sophisticated technology. Technology. Right. So I even wouldn't want them at a concert or either even at a political rally because they do more. So the promotion of it needs to be more thoughtfully th- uh, uh, thought about than to put it out. Yeah. There. That's all I'm but saying. I'm going back. Yeah. Going back to the <laughs> Uber example, Uber never thought initially that it would be mass public utilization. They assumed it was going to be black cars, town, black Lincoln town cars. And, you know, people of, of means that want to have private drivers. That was the pitch. And, that, and they honestly never imagined initially that it was going to be, ev- you know, everybody uh, open to the public. And that was Lyft who came out with that, uh, to credit to Lyft and, and Mark Andreessen, you know, who invested in Lyft. And they were like, actually, we could fully democratize this. It's not just for wealthy people who want private black car drivers. This could be for anybody. And it was the realization that you don't have to have a black car license uh, and be a black car driver to be a driver. You could have a Hyundai and be a driver. And some people would be totally fine with that, you know, just to get down to the post office or the supermarket or whatnot. And that opened up what we know of Uber today. And Uber kind of copied Lyft on that point of really democratizing it. But the same the same issue applies with the bodyguards. Today, bodyguards are used, as you well know, Michael, you know, we, we being from Hollywood, a lot of celebrities have private security, right? Yeah. And then and big executives have private security and, uh, you know, the sports stars and whatnot. And then what if that, like the black cars, what if that does become an app that becomes quite popular, you know, and over time the price goes down and down and down and down as, as things do at scale. And now you could hire somebody to escort you and your friends out for a night out drinking so you can get plastered in a shady part of town and have somebody, you know, as a, as a private escort kind of bodyguard type thing. I, I could see it happen. I actually spoke, Tyler, I spoke with the founder of Uber, Garrett. Uh-huh, Garrett, and yeah. the reason the reason he started uh, Uber was because he was a VC guy and he would call his uh, limousine to pick him from one place to another place. But in San Francisco, traffic being so bad, yeah, uh, he would just cancel and catch a cab. Right, and then they blacklisted him. So he felt like, okay, uh, how can I go and fix this? So he called, you know basically the owner of all these limousine companies and said, you know, your drivers are sitting around just watching soap opera all day. Yeah. What if I pay you guys a flat fee? So that's how he started Uber. And going back to what you said regarding uh, black limousine, I actually spoke with him. I said, why do you only focus on this? Uh, there are other cars that are not black or not limousine. And he said, you know what? This is interesting, Cam. I get back to you. Uh, he never did, but... Uh, this was one of the better conversation I had with him. And I'm against militarizing the private uh, security because we are creating a police state. Uh, 
I think we should go look at the root of the problem. If people have jobs, they're not going to break into each other's home. So again, uh, that's just my two cents. So move. I'm the fastest gun in the West, and I still use private security occasionally um, for some of the reasons that you state, Tyler. Yeah. Like you do cool things, you've got to uh, watch out for yourself. Um, people, I don't actually agree that you can solve all crime just by making the world a better place. It's not going to be all crime. There's still going to be some. Uh, but, you know, honestly, with what we're doing to our police these days, you shouldn't. nobody should be surprised that private policing is coming up as a topic. And I for one, I'm going to come out 100% in support of it. Uh, we absolutely need this type of thing to exist. Um, just because you use private security doesn't mean that you're using it to rough people up or um, or do things that are immoral or unethical with it. Um, like pe- people, like politicians talk out of both sides of their mouth on this topic. Uh, they run around trying to take away guns and trying to restrict private security while having the best private security in the world follow them around. Barbara Boxer was this way. She had a concealed carry permit until she became a congressperson and got the Secret Service. And then suddenly she came out against all this stuff. It's really hypocritical. I, 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 I'm going to support this stuff. And, um, and I, you know, I, I get that there are issues that people have with it, but they don't supersede my need for personal safety and security I'll, for me and my family. I'll make a prediction. Greg, to be clear, I, to be clear, I don't I'm not sure. It's, it's two different things. Like having private security is one thing. Like I'm a hundred percent on board for private security. Oh yeah. That, I wasn't actually saying anything about what you said, Michael, but, but yeah. Oh, oh I know brother. I was just saying, yeah, I'll, I just, I'll I, make a prediction I, I just now, hope though. it's clear on the stage though, that that's, that there's two different things being discussed here. Like one is private security and then the other was just private uh, law enforcement, using, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. The yeah. private law but, enforcement is but, what I'm but saying. I guess that's yeah. my point is that if you live in a place where they're defunding the police, um, if you live in a place where, uh, actually, I know a lot of police officers. I, I know them from aviation circles um, in particular. There's a, there's a lot of helicopter use in law enforcement. Uh, and they are really on the ropes. As much as we like to beat on them for the people that do, they're like, of course, there are freaking bad cops that do awful things. Uh, I'm just as against that as anybody else. But, we, but the psychological... Um, state of being a police officer right now is in it's extremely perilous uh, and all the good cops are leaving um and and getting burned oh, out oh this is a great point it's, it's and, and so i look at it as like look if they'll go into the private industry and the private industry will protect them better then that might be the like look safety is still important people want to live in safe neighborhoods police are not supposed to be the enemy they're supposed to be like kids are supposed to be able to trust the cops. They're, um, you're right. So I, I think they can get back. I think this that. is going to end yeah. up being a different topic and it's going to take the tech newsroom somewhere else. Cause then there's going to be oh, ideological. Yeah. Cause it's, I work with the police tech, and work yeah. with different forces, but they do, they do agree with a lot of the citizens because things are happening that is against them. There's diff, there's actually two different moral codes that uh, occur you know, so within there. So there's like lots of layers. So I know a lot of police. So I don't think it's not necessarily defunding. It's like, it, it, this is like, I, I don't want to derail this whole thing because it's going to get passionate. Right, right. So, so all, the only place I was going is if there is a vetted, Uberized security. Yep, we got vetted. you, Robert. We totally get yeah, you. Okay. Yeah, my, my, okay. the point I want to make is, and uh, L, I, I, I think we can, just one little put a bow on this conversation because there's a lot of headlines we got to get into. But I, th- I think you would agree there there is 
uh, a lot of police folks who, if they if they could use their skills in, in this kind of app that Robert is asking about, I think even a lot of police who are are working today as police would work on weekends. You know, uh, as you know, these on-demand calls, you know, for private security to in, in Robert's version of the app, I imagine. Uh, and if they made anything equal to what they make, you know, uh, as a police officer, you might see, as Greg is saying, isn't it true that there are police officers or kind of um, some are stepping down, looking for other career paths, whatever. And this could be an interesting well, my point is that a lot of police officers get into policing for the same reason that teachers get into teaching and other uh, frontline positions. They get into and, and then they get in and they figure out what it's really like uh, and they, they have to leave. It's not good for their health. It's not good for their safety. They're not being protected in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, only the best departments in the country do a good job of this and maintain good community relations. Yeah. Uh, but and most of the other ones. Uh, it, it literally just goes completely sideways and the cops get burned out and jaded uh, and they have to leave or maybe they become bad. It gets very political and unionized like the teachers and all of that. Yeah. Uh, let's let's yeah, change gears I mean, here. Go ahead. Yeah, let's switch. <laughs> OK, thanks, Al. Um, here's here's a headline I want to share. Um, this is a doozy. This is the Swedish one I was talking about here. Uh, SoftBank, one of the world's biggest investors, if not the biggest, uh, is backing buy now, pay later firm Klarna, my my good buddies in Stockholm, in a funding round that values Klarna now at over $40 billion. Uh, Klarna, a European buy now, pay later company, who, by the way, they, they deserve a lot of credit for kind of uh, really popularizing the concept even, is close to securing a new funding round at a valuation of $40 billion, uh, the exact size of the investment round is unknown. However, it is expected to be less than the $1 billion that Klarna raised in March. So just, uh, yeah, two months ago when it was valued at $30 billion. <laughs> So they increased the value of the company 25% in, in a couple months. That's fantastic. Klarna is also back. Yeah, one second. Klarna is also backed by big name investors such as Snoop Dogg. And um, and Michael Moritz from Sequoia Capital, who happens to be the chairman of the company at the moment. Yeah, go ahead. Was that Johan? Yes, that was Johan. The thing was that yesterday, Klarna had a major outage and it leaked information in all directions. Uh, I will try to find an, yeah. uh, an, something from the newspapers that are in a, in a readable language for the rest of you. I've got it right but here. But they had a major uh, screw up yesterday. Yeah. And, you and done speaking. Sebastian, the CEO, took to his personal Twitter account to cover that. Uh, it says, uh, less than three hours after the funding round was reported, Klarna CEO Sebastian announced on Twitter that the company had experienced a self-inflicted incident uh, where he says, so sad and frustrating to realize that we have had a self-inflicted incident for 30 minutes affected the privacy of some of our users, he said, indicating that the company may have experienced a data breach of some sort. Full attention from all colleagues to bring things back to normal, take actions to avoid this going forward and communicate broadly, said Sebastian. And we are with this product challenging a massive industry that has overcharged consumers with overdraft fees, with interest-bearing terms of use. And um, that's uh, that's Klarna now being replicated around the world. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's you, like social commerce, this buy now, pay later um, format. Matter of fact, the African pitches that we had yesterday 
one of them was uh, very much similar to this. It was a buy now, pay later for Africa, which has really interesting implications on the continent of Africa, where there's a lot of people that don't have established kind of a credit where the credit scores and credit worthiness, which these apps help provide, actually. So it's um, it was fantastic to see. And I think that was the one that you liked, was it not, Cal? Yeah, the... I loved it. Loved yeah. it. And, and they had a, what, I, what I liked is they were managing their credit risk by taking a bunch of um, installments before delivering the product. I know it's subtle, but it's it's uh, it's smart. Yes. And, um, and a number of other things. They're kind of a, they managed a marketplace. Um, I might get in touch with them, actually. I like I like them a lot. Me too. CD Care and Lacan on stage and Mabana were both with us. And thank you both, gentlemen, for your help with that event. Uh, um and I think it was Mabwana that liked that one, was it not? Uh, which one did you like, Mabwana? Um, I liked the, uh, you hear me? I yep, he liked the help. help. <laughs> but uh, but I, I liked the Ethiopian lady. Who oh, yeah, the doctor. Medical. Yeah, the medical records. Yep. Because I'm a soft spot for Ethiopia. Because my thesis is that Nigerian is getting crazy. You know, there's 200 fintechs in Nigeria now, you know, which is, uh, this is kind of like a lot for, you know, that as a country, but I think it's, it's going to get overheated. So I'm kind of, I've done my fintech investments, e-commerce investments. I like the concept. Um, uh, but yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking for more far out new market frontiers like Ethiopia. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why I did. But I, I agree with you that uh, that model is interesting. People are doing it for phones as well, by the way. You can buy a phone uh, and pay later. And then if, you're, if your phone, if you don't pay, they just disconnect you. Right? So right. That, that works. Yeah. Find other ways to, to, uh, you know, uh, so shut off the phone if you don't pay. Yeah. Yep. And it was a lot of fun. And you can listen to the whole um, one-hour version of that uh, on, on Stockholm. If you Google Stockholm Tech Meetup, you will find the website where there there's a YouTube video embedded with the audio of that meeting. And I'll pause. I got no shortage of headlines and we've got um, another 40 minutes to go before we hand it off to Victoria for her VRAR room, which you can see by clicking on the title of this room and you'll see all the upcoming tech newsrooms. And there is a whole bunch of them coming up um, of all different types, ed tech, med tech, fintech, crypto, AR, VR, on and on and on. And uh, very interestingly, on Wednesday, we have the Facebook's annual keynote live stream with mark zuckerberg happening wednesday and we will have a, a, a live companion room here with tech news around the world while that's going and michelle from facebook and others will be here to help us unpack and decipher and uh, analyze facebook's announcements live in real time so i look forward to that and somebody want uh, somebody else want to go with the headline i'm just checking I got yeah, can I go ahead root v sorry yeah you said before no problem. Yeah. So the, the remember we were talking about uh, the super app market in India with Tata and buying uh, big big uh, sorry big basket. Yes. So there's been there's Ta- been interesting Tata. development. Yes, Tata. So there's been interesting development in the supermarket space, okay. uh, both by Tata and by Amazon. Uh, Amazon is now letting Indian re- Indian users read magazine articles in their shopping apps. So they're trying to take their one step forward in the space of becoming a super app for India. As well as, uh, so in the more interesting news from Tata side, Tata is looking to acquire a health fitness app called CureFit, which is evaluated, which is a Series D startup evaluated somewhere around 750 million. So they are looking to acquire this to 
I put it in their super app feature and also get the out get the users as well as uh, the fitness area covered in their entire uh, digital space. Okay, yeah. T- I, uh, I, I also, think, yeah, and I yes, mean, t- Tata is going into ten things uh, in all. The, there's yes. such a big. So Tata has technically been an industrialist by nature. They have always been. They always quoted themselves as an industrialist to begin with. I think now they're entering more about the tech space to begin with. Uh, also, uh, I have this insight. I mean, a news that is. I mean, I'm not very sure it's very relevant, but the point is the news. Uh, inside story is very relevant. So uh, you know about an academy, right? It's one of India's second biggest edtech company. Uh, so uh, they are just in talks with re- uh, raising funding around 300 to 400 million funding from Temasek, which is a Singapore-based holding. Uh, so the goods, uh, which will I think put their valuation somewhere around 3.5 plus billion dollars. Uh, the good thing about this is, this is a personal insight of what they're going to do with this raising of money. I was speaking to their founder just before this call. I know them very well. So uh, there's a new product of Temesa, of an academy called Graphy, which lets create educators create their own website and monetize through them. I mean, it's a no no code based uh, creation, very simple and very trick. The interesting part is they are trying to get creators, yes, Indian, but their major prime market focus is not in India, but Indians and uh, South Asians living outside India because they focus a lot of education aspect importance to their kids, and that's their focus uh, to move this. Uh, this entire funding is to raise that focus to move into outside India, and with this step, an academy will be stepping outside India to focus on the global. market market. Very cool. Thank you for that. Um, Lakeisha, who joins us in the other time zone, uh, in she's in Bangkok, and Bangkok has a, a super big mall called Siam Paragon, where she clearly was at a few hours ago. And inside the Siam Paragon Mall, which is a very high-end shopping mall, there is now, she took a video for us of a robot who's going around checking for people wearing masks and <laughs> mask wearing compliance inside the shopping mall in Bangkok, which it's kind of a futile exercise because everyone's wearing masks in, in all of Thailand at the moment. Uh, <laughs> they don't really need policing, but it's kind of an interesting use case of a robot um, in a shopping mall. Um, and then here is some, uh, some very interesting news indeed. We've been talking about the Russian, uh, sorry, the, the French uh, YouTubers who were approached by a very shady uh, PR company. Uh, going back, this this is the, now we're coming full circle, Akil. You remember we were talking an hour ago about how PR companies uh, have press releases, right? Well, you remember we've been talking the past few days about um, some YouTubers in France and Germany were receiving uh, opportunities uh, from a from a from a PR agency asking them to promote fake news. And the fake news they were being asked to promote is that Pfizer's vaccine is uh, has a higher mortality rate than AstraZeneca. You remember this one, Cal? So, yeah, yeah. so we, we did a poll and we were thinking hard about this, scratching our heads collectively uh, about who is the, who is doing this? Why? This is really bizarre PR behavior whose PR department is asking YouTubers to spread fake data around vaccines that 
um, Pfizer's vaccines are more deadly than uh, AstraZeneca's. It's surely not AstraZeneca's PR department who's going around asking YouTubers to spread lies about their competitor, uh, Pfizer. That, that's just an absurd thought. Uh, and so we I polled the audience of, is, do we think that this is a, you know AstraZeneca PR department gone crazy asking YouTubers in France and Germany to spread lies about their competitor, Pfizer, that Pfizer's vaccines uh, have a higher mortality rate. And it turns out the audience voted five to one that they agreed that it was probably something more like Russia, for example. And then there was an update. Th- that was three days ago. And then two days ago, as I predicted, the French intelligence uh, community said, uh, we're on this and it looks like it's from Russia, right? That was about two days ago or a day ago. And now there is the smoking gun has been found. Um, and remember when I said the word exclusive? Well, this uh, outlet called um, Radio Free Europe is claiming that this is an exclusive that... Uh, what they say, meet the murky Russian network behind an anti-Pfizer disinformation drive in Europe. Moscow-based businesswoman Yulia Serebrinskyanya has been linked with a network of companies behind a disinformation campaign aimed at discrediting some Western COVID vaccines. Whoa, sounds interesting. A network of Russian marketing companies known for selling dubious nutritional supplements and pushing malware is behind a disinformation campaign to denigrate Western coronavirus vaccines, according to Radio Free Europe. The revelations, which led to a Moscow-based businesswoman active in pro-Kremlin political circles, add new insight into the campaign that targeted social media influencers in France and Germany. Well, what a coincidence. Amazing other countries uh, and reportedly attracted the attention of the French intelligence agencies. Yes, it did. And they have now apparently tracked it down to a lady who has uh, um, strong connection, pro-Kremlin pro political circles, they're calling it. Uh, Moscow-based businesswoman Yulia Serebrinskyanya. So there you have it, according to the French uh, intelligence agencies, as being reported exclusively by Radio Free Europe. I wonder how they got that exclusive. Maybe they have friends in hey, the Hey, French- child. Yeah. Hey, Tyler, this is John. If hey, I can John. rip on this a little please, bit. And I have, please do. I have, I have a specific request yeah. for this this whole group. Uh-huh. Um, and I'll, I'll set it up. Um, there's a group from the XPRIZE that is working on a number of initiatives to support the crisis in India right now. And we had a meeting uh, two days ago. I've been a senior advisor to a lot of the XPRIZES. And so one of the things that I put on the table is to deal with the disinformation. And it turns out there was someone on that uh, Zoom call that is working on that. And here's the situation in India. There is massive dis- disinformation. It's almost uh, 90% plus on WhatsApp. And so they're already working on developing chat bots on WhatsApp to counter the disinformation chatbots on WhatsApp, which are ubiquitous. So my ask to the audience is, is there anybody here who is either um, part of the WhatsApp engineering team or knows someone on that team that can connect uh, me so I can bring them to the folks in Mumbai that are working on the WhatsApp uh, anti-disinformation chatbots for India because it's really uh, messing with public confidence in anything related to the virus or the vaccine uh, at, a, at a moment of crisis. So if there's anybody um, 
who is either a WhatsApp developer or knows someone who is, please contact me on LinkedIn so I can hook them up with the team in Mumbai that's working on this. Thanks. This is John. Amen, John. Thank you. I'm so glad you did that. And we talked about this uh, right before this room in Justin's room. Justin Higgins, who's on stage, hosts fantastic political discussions in, in, in his uh, Politics Media 101 rooms with, uh, with David, who joins us in the other time zone. And we were talking about this issue specifically because let's look at what's going on here. This is truly fascinating when you step back for a second. You had other headlines in the past week or so where actually it was about four days ago. You guys remember this, where the Facebook's head of uh, cybersecurity came out and said that Russia stands out as by far the number one uh, misinformation um, campaign driver in Facebook. You guys remember that one? I do. Okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, it's, uh, um, so he, the Facebook has said on the record, the head of, you know, the person who tracks these things that Facebook said, and he had the data, he had the numbers. He says, Facebook has been doing X number of these misinformation campaigns and we can track them back to, the, you know, the, to Russia and we're shutting them down or doing the best we can, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, prior to that, Twitter used to notoriously internally shut down hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of fake bot accounts from Russia and China that were causing disinformation campaigns. And they've gotten much better at stopping the endless flow of these bots who were spreading all of this crazy disinformation, misinformation on Twitter. And Facebook, this gentleman who announced, made that headline four days ago, Clearly, they are working around the clock, day and night, to stop all of these bot accounts on Facebook because you have to create an account, a fake account for a fake person on Twitter and Facebook. And they get pretty good at tracking the IP addresses, even though they're using VPNs and the phone numbers they use. And there's similarities and patterns to the software they're using to create these bot armies that are spreading all of this massive waves of disinformation and misinformation. And they're getting quite good, honestly, Facebook and Twitter at stopping that. And they need to. They really want to stop that because they realize it's causing real problems in America amongst other places, right? So, in fact, the head of the FBI in the U.S. came out and said, um, this is one of the biggest problems is all this misinformation on the social networks, just, just for context. And the U.K.'s head of uh, the intelligence said the same. So Facebook and Twitter are doing what they can to stop the bot armies. And they are. They're getting far better at doing it. And that is forcing these Russia and China and these other bad state actors to find other places to spread this crazy information. And so it's not so easy to create a bot of fake YouTube creators um, and create tons of fake YouTube content. That's not easy to do <laughs> because it's much easier to create a fake Twitter profile. And it's not easy to create a fake uh, clubhouse profile and come on clubhouse and start spewing uh, Russian and Chinese propaganda. That's not easy to do either. You need real humans that'll spend actual time to do it. Um, by the way, it does happen. Uh, and Cal and I and, uh, and Justin have seen it. And um, uh, Greg as well. We've been in those rooms. And Robert as well. So um, the, all the social networks deal with this. It's, but uh, luckily, Clubhouse is not easy for them to do it. And YouTube is not easy either. However, WhatsApp, it is easy to do it. And that's why John says that they are getting tons of these fake accounts in WhatsApp. Again, because it's super easy to fake, make hundreds of fake WhatsApp accounts, even thousands, and spread really bad disinformation 
about COVID in India at this moment and is causing internal havoc in their democracy. Yes. And and yeah. what and WhatsApp is the most pervasive social media. I can personally uh, work for that. That's, that's happening a lot. Correct. Because it's easy to do. And those, by the way, this is the new state of the art warfare. It's a social media warfare is what it is. And they are trying to and they realize very big democracies like America cannot be defeated militaristically or even economically. America can only defeat itself internally by causing internal friction amongst Max. its own people. Same with India. Same with India. You can, so they now, that's their plan, is to cause the countries to defeat themselves by causing almost a civil war-like uh, division amongst the population across all kinds of racial and social and financial issues. So it's always the smartest play. This is the government funneling drugs and guns into the into the hoods back in the 60s and 70s. And and fear is the best motivator on social media. And uh, Putin knows how to exploit that. Yep. So that my point in saying all this is, is um, let's be mindful that this is where we are at in 2021. And John is asking for help, you know, to help uh, figure out how to combat it within WhatsApp. Uh, I'm confident they will figure out a way to minimize all of that uh, negative, you know, uh, kind of cyber warfare, social media warfare. Uh, Yeah. Tyler, just to add what you were saying, Uh uh, I'm sure you saw the news at the beginning of the week that a bunch of French influencers were contacted by a fake London influencer marketing agency. Yep. And they were offered anything between $1,500 and $5,000. Correct. To put negative, negative uh, you talk about uh, Pfizer? Yeah, uh, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, yes. Yeah, that's precisely what we're talking about. Is that uh, on that story, which that story broke about two, three days ago, and the updates that, that we just covered was that the, the French intelligence agency got involved because they want to know precisely who's asking their YouTubers to spread lies about Pfizer and, their, and vaccines because the French <laughs> want their people to get vaccinated And the way to stop people from getting vaccinated is to spread lots of misinformation about vaccines on YouTube. And um, so they want to know who's causing this uh, friction in their own country. And they said at the time they believe it's Russia because the message that these YouTubers were being asked to spread is nearly verbatim identical to tweets coming out from Russia's own Twitter accounts, uh, specifically the Sputnik vaccine team who was saying that the Pfizer vaccine has a 3x higher mortality rate. Uh, and that's what the message these bloggers were being at and, and YouTubers were being asked to spread. Wow, what a, what a weird coincidence. It's also the same verbatim information that the Russians are tweeting from their own national mouthpiece Twitter accounts. What a surprise. So the uh, French intelligence community already had a kind of a lead on this. And now, Tan, just so you're up to speed, it was revealed uh, just a few hours ago by Radio Free Europe that they've even named, and there's even a photo, and I just tweeted it out from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account. You can see the name and the face of the lady that the French uh, intelligence are now accusing as being the source of these shady campaigns. Uh, her name is Yulia Serebrianskyanya, and they her pro-Kremlin connections, and... Um, they say meet. The- it's it's a dress rehearsal. This, I mean, you know, this is so obvious, but it's a dress rehearsal. We should keep our radar up. That's on a that. great, a cheap way. great point. Whoever said that, which is this kind. That of- was Robert. Robert, thank you. This kind of stuff. We're only in on chapter one. 
this is going to get far worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, because simultaneous, then, simultaneous to this headline, a... pardon me one second, Sylvan. Yeah. Simultaneous to this headline coming out about um, Yulia uh, from, from the Kremlin is the other news that the solar wind hackers from Russia, who it's well known, I mean, that's all acknowledged, they're back at it again. They're in the headlines again today, hacking into the U.S. systems yet again today, which we talked about in Justin's room. So this is they um, have a plan and it's getting the problem will continue to get worse in the in the near term until we start coming up with uh, very real solutions, which are not so clear at the moment. But it's an important issue to watch. But no doubt there will be headlines uh, ongoing in the days and weeks to come that we will continue to track here. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, so I think Tyler. Uh, yeah, one second. Sylvan was waiting. To... Ah, thank you, thank you, Tyler. Yeah, the thing, the thing that I wanted to highlight is that um, as I don't know if you you, you came across the book um, Sandworm, and I think that was fascinating. That charted this. Um, uh, this was Andy uh, Greenberg's uh, book Sandworm that that uh, tracked the story about um, the Russian GPR uh, GRU hacking team, and it right. was it was an extremely extremely uh, worrying event. And remember when they brought down the entire the Ukraine power station? Yeah, mm. and um, and and of course you know um, when um, Cambridge Analytica, for instance, uh, started using some uh, or rather the Russians started using the research from Cambridge Analytica uh, in, in ways that we never thought was possible. Right. Well, they also tend to get um, very active during elections, uh, not just in the U.S., but all around uh, Moldova, Romania, etc. And and I've been on the ground in those countries while those were happening, by the way. And, and also Brexit. Uh, correct. Yes, it's also known that as well. Uh, and they did hack the DNC and leaked the emails from the DNC, which caused... Uh, potentially cost them um, that election, by the way. Um, and then you've got the... Comp- nah. nah. <laughs> Robert. Yeah, well, let's see what happens in the, the next the, election. The but it's the, is, it's Tyler, the... I think you're, you, Go ahead. you're looking from the wrong side there. Okay. I think in, in 2016, uh-huh. uh, so you, I think 2016, if you look at the Panama Papers leaks, yep. right? Yep. That that really what triggered Putin. So that was that hack was done by the you know AKGBs and the FSBs, right? Because that was emotionally driven. Because that September they had a, a parliamentary election, as I remember, um, in 2016 in Russia. So so what Putin uh, what that exposed is uh, the Putin's wealth, right? I, I mean there was a two billion, uh, you know, uh, you know his grandfather, uh, or his, sorry, his oldest daughter's grandfather. He's a musician and he had like a two billion uh, registered on a fund. So that Panama Papers gave a little glimpse onto his wealth and, you know, how he actually managed to, you know, hide away. Probably he's the richest man in the world, right? So the, the point is that that really what shook, you know, Putin. I think when he, when he went after all of this uh, hacking, that's what initiated it. Look, if you've been to Russia, if any of you in the stage or anyone been to Russia, their healthcare system doesn't, it's a shambolic and their, their transport is shambolic. Their state-run companies are shambolic. How does it, their hacking is becomes across as the most sophisticated around the world. I think the problem with the West is that we are weak in a lot of our system. And then, you know, whenever we think something is exposed in our system, you know, we have an easy hand to blame to. I think Putin is in, inside his room is laughing at all of this, it's because right? Our tech also, it's because our tech systems are shambolic. Exactly. And also, like, another thing is, guys, you know, there's a massive young uh, population in Russia. They're very highly educated, highly technical. And, you know, uh, you know, their background, you need to understand, guys, after the World War II, 
you know, they are trained. And so a lot of these young people, I mean, if you go around the square in, in, in Russia, there's a lot of these competitions on specifically targeting young people who are super good at these things, hacking, you know, all this. Uh, and then they get hired globally by a lot of these espionage, you know, for all of these uh, other forces. The point is that there is a massive young people who are there out of job and they would do anything in a very, and this is a thriving industry, right? Every four years, you've got an election cycle. Every three years, some, some of our politicians manage to fuck up some issues like Brexit. You know, every year there's some stupid company. They don't invest in their, you know, IT uh, systems. So all of this stuff is just like, you know, this is a, it's like a kid's in a, in a, uh, in a candy shop, yeah. right? So I think so we need to be very mindful that throwing a lot of this stuff uh, in there, you know, um, uh, there's a lot of smart people waiting there for opportunity. And there's a lot of opportunity in this space. Yeah. John, I just had somebody who I know in the room DM me to say that uh, he has, and I, and I believe he does, uh, I have evidence that he does, I've, that um, he has experience on battling bot armies. So he has massive amount of experience stopping up and pattern recognition of their modus in a way that is quite unique. So if I'm looking at your profile, John, and I don't see a way to DM you, if you could DM me from my profile on Twitter, I will connect you with this individual. Excellent. Thank you so much, Tyler. Yeah. Um, going on. Thank you for that, Kieran. Somebody else, something to share. I've got plenty of headlines myself, but I want to see if somebody's got going. Tyler, going back to the Klarna piece. Yes, Jonathan. Um, at this moment is interesting because their credit losses have gone up. So, um, as as Cal rightly pointed out, um, some point early last to mid last year, they started initiating prepayments. But still, credit losses are widening. So it, it, it's interesting to see what will happen in the future with that business. Indeed. Indeed. indeed, indeed. Um, let's see here. EU is too, is, uh, yeah, Kieran shared a really good article uh, that I'm retweeting from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW uh, about the EU is too soft on big tech, say France, Germany, and the Netherlands. From This coming from the Financial Times. Germany, France, Netherlands have complained that the EU is not tough enough on big tech and called on regulators to make it harder for the likes of Google, Facebook, and, and such. Um, uh, uh, on big tech, and it's called on regulators to make it harder for the likes of fa Google, Facebook to pursue killer acquisitions. A paper signed by Bruno Le Maire, France's finance minister, Germany's Minister of Economic Affairs, the Dutch Economic Affairs Minister, said the EU flagship proposals for future technology regulation uh, lacked ambition. The paper, which has yet to be published, but which has been seen by the Financial Times. There, there's your exclusive, folks. Remember, we're talking about how people leak stuff to the journalists. <laughs> here's uh, the ministers of the, the economic ministers of Germany, France and the Netherlands are giving an, an exclusive look to the Financial Times around this paper, uh, which they call the Digital Markets Act. Um, so the Financial Times has seen it and it calls for the EU to strengthen and speed up merger scrutiny, particularly when it comes to the strategies of platform companies consisting in systematically buying up nascent companies in order to stifle competition. Well, Jesus, Wally, uh, Greg, does that happen? Are these, is this right? Is Apple and Google and Facebook buying up these small companies and shutting them down just to kill future competitors? Uh, <laughs> um, well, uh, yes. Um, you know, I, I, and in fact, um, I don't think that I'm 
breaking anything by saying that one time somebody bought something from me and said that they only bought it to shut down the competition. Um, and, uh, and, you know, pretty uh, reputable person told me that this uh, strategy existed. On top of that, one of the things that, things that you'll notice Apple in particular is really good at acquiring things below the threshold of antitrust um, investigation. So they try to buy companies really early on um, and then, you know, get a monopoly on the technology. To a, to a certain extent, this is okay in a competitive market. It's really not okay in an anti-competitive market. Yep. And um... uh, so t Tyler, uh, there's another interesting uh, thing that uh, it ties in what's going on and how certain countries are. So there's a news from Sri Lanka. Um, so I think I thought it was very interesting. So what happened is in Sri Lanka, was China, um, I don't know if you guys remember, about five years ago, China um, uh, took a 99-year lease uh, uh, on the country and uh, they, ex they reclaimed the land around 270 hectares uh, from the ocean. And what they've done is they called it the port city. Um, so it's basically you're talking about a kind of a, not so much size of Singapore, but half of Singapore, you know, reclaimed land from uh, in the ocean and they're turning into this kind of a smart city, right? So basically they want um, that hub. So basically, even if you're, if you're born in Sri Lanka, you need to cross a bridge in order to go into a city. So that would be run by China pretty much, right? So they invested $15 billion. And yesterday on the parliament, or sorry, a few days ago, there's something passed on the parliament which gives um, any currency to be used in that city, poor city. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, uh, which I got from a WhatsApp, which I'm going to verify the source. Yesterday, Sri Lanka, uh, just to tie to the WhatsApp story coming out of India, Sri Lanka Big Brother operation comes into effect from tomorrow, which was yesterday. It says the new communication rules for WhatsApp and WhatsApp calls and voice and video calls will be implemented from tomorrow. One is all the calls will be recorded. All call recording will be saved. Uh, WhatsApp, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all social media will be monitored. Your device will be connected to the ministry system. Take, uh, and then what they're saying is that when you send a WhatsApp message, you, if you get a one cross, it will say message sent. If it says two cross, it will say message reached. If there's a blue, uh, two blue cross, it says message read. If there's a three uh, blue cross, it says the government took note of the message. If there's a two blue cross and a one red, the government can, can take action against you. And one blue and two red mean the government is sending you some information, so you need to reach out to the local police. Uh, and three red mean the government started proceeding against you, and you will be—you'll get a court summoned soon. I mean, I don't know, man. I've been waiting for the NSA wow. to send me that. So basically, what? So I'm going to check this. I mean, I'm going to—I'm reaching out to people. So that came onto my WhatsApp. Uh, so, so there is, you know, uh, so Sri Lanka is pretty much. You know, <laughs> This is madness, isn't it? <laughs> but I don't know how much of it is. So I'm going to check it out. But I do know that, you know, the, the, the parliament, the, the, there is, a, you know, the bill that got passed, uh, even though there was a lot of uh, opposition against certain things on that bill, but the government just, you know, it's a very dictatorship, right? So they just say, there's no changes. We're passing it on. Cool. Uh, a, a bunch, yeah. <laughs> X-Files. I got a bunch of headlines to jump into here. The e, Here's one from Newsweek saying that the EU and the US are on track to ban AI handing the 21st century to China. And I will add them uh, that they're also on track to ban kind of stem cell research and genetic engineering of all kinds, which they have some, there's, there's obviously good and bad in that, but regardless it's, it is handing those keys over to China to innovate to, on, on both the, you know, due to the lack of regulation uh, around it in, in around AI and genetic engineering and all those things. So it's something to be very mindful of. Um, the Canada Post reveals that they were now hacked. Um, 
for their juicy data, which is being held ransom. Geez, this, there seems to be a little problem with these ransomware hacks going around the world. Have you noticed this lately, Cal? Uh, now it's the Canada yeah, Post. Too much of it. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft, yeah, Microsoft says that the group behind SolarWinds hack now targeting government agencies and NGOs, as we just discussed, Facebook no longer treating man-made COVID posts as crazy ideas. They're now allowing something they previously didn't allow. <laughs> and that's the laugh of our friend Greg Duffy. Greg, um, Facebook uh, is now allowing. Yeah, suddenly, suddenly we're not crazy. Um, and wait, wait, everybody's allowing the, the ransomware yeah, really no, but, quickly. But I hang was... on, like everybody is now acting like it's okay to backpedal on this, and you literally have people saying everything. But holy shit, we were wrong, and we're sorry. Um, and that's what you need to hear. And by the way, like uh, the uh, uh, the I I often am wrong, and I will say so. Uh, but I'm not going to do it anymore because these people don't do it, and it's uh, it's a race to the bottom. And so from now on, I am no, now never wrong. I am never wrong. I'm like temporarily mistaken at best. Uh, and you were, and by the way, you were wrong for thinking the right thing uh, before. Greg, That's welcome the, to my world. Welcome to my world. I'm never wrong. Yeah. Can we bring this up with your wife? <laughs> actually, actually, she never thinks I'm wrong. She, uh, she's a great little citizen of my um, universe. Well, speak, perfect. Yeah. Speaking of not being wrong, well, I want to go. Wait. Go ahead, Jennifer. The, no, the back of the ransomware. Okay. I was in one of the rooms yesterday that was a, like looking. They're on cybersecurity, like the A16Z Cyber Group, mm -hmm. and they were looking at. You know, they're talking about all this stuff, and they said that um, there's two areas, and I can't remember the other one, but that are having hockey stick growth right now. One of them is the ransomware as a service yeah. industry. That's right. So I just find this hilarious. I still need to find out where my uh, job is over there. But you, yeah. As any, by the way, if anyone's interested, we're going to start a room tomorrow. If anyone wants to start, uh, you know, how to be a hacker and how to hack government agencies and make a lot of money real quick. Um, yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think. What? We, what, what, should, what, what? So last year. Last year, I'm going to make the RAAS contract. Uh, I'll do that. Last year, Garmin was hacked by uh, ransomware. Uh, Garmin, the GPS and aviation products company. They also make some wearables and things like that. Uh, they were hacked big time and their entire business shut down. And it actually resulted in my helicopter staying in the shop for nine months because we had just upgraded the panel to Garmin stuff. And the paperwork couldn't be done because their people couldn't log on to their computers for nine months. Um, so the well, economic damage of these things. Shitty customer service. Yeah, those guys yeah, are, yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised. But great, great, how did you survive for nine months without a helicopter, man? That, that's a tough thing. Oh, I have, I have another one. Backups. That was just my... <laughs> Backups. Backups. <laughs> So um, Google, it's a, a tough life. it's a tough life. Google, the, some former Google uh, employees, female employees, have now won um, kind of a preliminary decision that allows them to move forward with a class action suit um, of over 10,000 women who can now sue Google for gender bias with regard to their salaries. So it'll be very interesting to see how that decision comes out. Samsung is uh, developing nearly $700 million worth of solar plants in Texas, um, probably next to um, uh, Mr. Greg Duffy's uh, helicopter hangar. Um, drones are now being used uh, with live streams to catch poachers in Africa for rhinos and elephants and such things, which I think is truly amazing. Big. Yeah. 
I think that's awesome. Right? I know. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. Like basically, like if, if I if I could get free reign to just murder someone with my bare hands, it would be a rhino poacher. Um, I would like if, if look, I would pay a million dollars right now if y'all would just let me strangle the life out of somebody that poaches rhinos. We, well, we could be the poacher poachers. Can I think most... the, wait, can I take a look at the Google one, Tyler? You, that just reminded me of the Google city in San Jose. Uh-huh. Um, and I did talk to someone at Google about it, and yep. they said it's going to be like a big – it's all the Sidewalk Labs stuff, so yep. that's what they're going to be doing. Yeah, well, Sidewalk Labs yeah, is so the team who tried to make it happen right. in Toronto, and that's the, the team who's responsible for building the, the yeah. smart city stuff for, for the rhino They tried to get oh, me to work on that stuff, yeah. Yep. yeah. Hey, Tyler, about the drone thing, yep. did you – I think I, I uh, sent to you um, like some footage from Palestine where they're using drones for other kinds of reasons that are not as fine as rhinos, but – um, but I thought it was really, yeah, it was a revelation the, for me. There was a headline um, yesterday as well that the, is, it was, uh, the title was that the recent um, kind of troubles uh, there uh, between Israel and Palestine, were, it, they called it, it was the first AI war was the headline. The journalist decided to use the title, the first AI war. And they went on to say how and demonstrate apparently some of the Israeli military felt appropriate to reveal how much AI they're using in in creating the decisions around which targets uh, they were focusing on and whatnot, uh, that it was AI based. Uh, very interesting um, and concerning use of technology, no doubt. The uh, here's another interesting one. Um Japan doctor group today, and this was sh- shared by Cheryl, that's a tongue twister, who's in Tokyo, and um, that Japanese doctor group warns that the Tokyo Olympics could cause a health crisis due to the pandemic, because they are seeing now another uptick in COVID there, with just two months to go before the scheduled Olympics, and the entire country is now debating whether to cancel them or go on as planned. Now, 80% of Japanese say they should cancel it. Masayoshi-san from SoftBank came out 48 hours ago saying they should cancel it. And now, today, Japanese doctor group warns that this is a crazy, terrible, insane, stupid idea. You're going to get everybody infected with COVID. What the hell are you thinking? And that uh, actually leads to the last article I want to jump into, which is, uh, where did it go? Oh, this coming from CNN, as we said last time, CNN's reporting that big tech companies like Twitter uh, and Facebook and WhatsApp are having a high stakes standoff with India, as we've been reporting every day for the past week. Um, And it's been a very fun week, I have to say. Happy Friday to everybody. It's what a fun week it was. And we've got a more fun week next week with the live stream, a keynote event with Mark Zuckerberg that we're going to watch together with friends from Facebook. Michelle will be in the room for that. And I'm going to hand it over to um, Victoria. Uh, You've got a room coming up right now around VR and AR, uh, kind of on the Facebook uh, live stream event that's coming up next week. What are you expecting out of the Facebook event next week? No doubt they're going to touch on uh, VR because of their big Oculus plans for the future, yeah? Oh, yeah. I, I, I have a feeling, or, or rather, I hope that they talk about the Oculus Quest Pro, because they've been saying for a while that they're not going to come out with a, an Oculus Quest 3, um, but perhaps a Pro, so we'll see if they announce it then. Right. 
and then you and Michael um, have now done the the meta metaverse room around VR and AR news. This is like the fourth or fifth time. Oh no, this is like the sixth. Sixth, time. sixth or yeah, six. yeah, good. Wow. Well, people love this room. I do too. I will be there. Hopefully, you all will join us. And tomorrow, being Saturday, we don't officially schedule tech news around the world on the weekends. Although, if there are if there's news to report, we will join an unscheduled impromptu room tomorrow at some point to go through it. So do follow the room no, to get the only the only way to uh, get yeah follow the club. You follow that and follow hey, Tyler. One second, Tina. Tyler. One second, guys. Do follow the Twitter account as well because on the weekends, each weekend, we do try to test tech news around the world inside of Twitter Spaces, their version of Clubhouse. And the only way to be part of that is if you follow the tech news Twitter account, which is T N A T W. Go Tina. To oh. enti- oh, so go I wanted Tina, to. <clears throat> Sorry, I wanted to um, let everybody know that I know we've announced this a couple times already. Um, we're having the um, first um, AI summit tomorrow from 10 a.m. till uh, roughly one or two o'clock. Um, it's AI dash tech. No, sorry, ai-summit.tech um, for the website to register. It's a virtual event. And I'd like to announce, and I hope she doesn't mind, Jennifer, our Jennifer Sanders is going to be one of our speakers. Oh, so nice. I'd love it if you guys signed up and joined us. Yeah. Um, she's a late addition, but um, she's going to be doing a, she's going to be speaking to us about some um, legal matters. And um, I think you'd all enjoy it. So I'd love if you joined us. Okay. And Tyler, real quick here, because yep. I'm on vacation, I think that everybody should follow that club. Press the little green house at the top, press follow. Maybe we can do a tech policy pop-up, and I can bring in some uh, heavy hitter over the weekend or something Very like cool. that. Very so cool. I would love that. We can talk about it go. offline. There but, you go. Um, to kind of, like, get aware and be notified of that, folks, you got to press that little green button. Cool. Tyler, we have a pop Yeah, Monica. Tyler, we have a room Victoria, let's, let's go open up. Cool. I think, yeah, Victoria should have the room open any second now. Monica, go ahead. Tyler, we have a room tomorrow, which is at 11.30 a.m. IST, which is 7 a.m. BST, about fintech and payments news all around the world. That's right. It's not on tech news. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so follow Monica as well. She does fantastic rooms along with uh, James from MasterCard on things around fintech. And you'll have to follow her personally to get the update on that room that's going on tomorrow. Uh, Amay, who's flashing her mic, does fantastic rooms on crypto, especially helping women on board into that fantastic world of crypto and NFTs, especially beautifully well done for beginners who, who come in, you know, kind of verges into that space. And um, Tyler, yes, Tyler, huh? I wanted to share that I managed to I didn't want to share. I didn't I didn't want to share it till I got a confirmation. But Lex from Consensus is going to let me do an AMA with him. Nice. And I would love to have Monica and James, James yeah. and Lormi and a few people, like even Linda with, from Klarna, to come in and sort of, like, let's give him an AMA. So if you want to send me your questions, and then he, I just need to schedule him in. And I'm also bringing the CEO of Utrust Payments out of Portugal. It's a woman, Sonia Cole. So basically, I'm looking to get a lineup of executives to come in from these projects and have a conversation with us. Awesome. Awesome, guys. We'll have a fantastic weekend. Hopefully, we'll see you over the weekend uh, and, uh, and Monday at the latest. Hey. Yeah, it's been a great thank week. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah, thank you, Cal. Thank Thanks you. to everybody. It's been a lot of thank fun. You. Yeah, thank you. Happy weekend. Have a great weekend. Yeah. Radio. Thanks, nice guys. to see you. Have a good weekend, guys. Bye-bye. Ciao, everybody. Chill. Bye-bye. Be good. See you all over at the VR AR room here.